This hustle and bustle world that we live in can sometimes seem like it's also an impossible place to find rest. So today we're talking about why rest is so essential, who came up with the idea that we need to be resting, and how to find better quality and more rest in your life. of our good friends, Andre from Ukraine, who we've spoken to a couple times on the podcast, made a request this week. He requested that in, as a follow-up to our recent podcast on wasting time and how Satan wants us to waste our time, which I still think is true, he asked if we could also talk about rest because he was doing, he does these weekly Instagram lives where he does a report on how many people they've fed and how many deliveries they made, how many steps he took, how many miles they drove, because he's still helping feed people during the war in Ukraine. And he was talking about how he took a couple of days off last week and he felt lazy and he felt like he was wasting his time. And I said, no, Andre, you are resting. That's what God needs you to do. And when I did an Instagram post actually earlier this week as well about this concept of are we really using our time in the best way or are we wasting our time? Someone on there also who's a frequent reader and commenter and uh, an Instagram friend said something about her husband died unexpectedly in August and it's been really hard on her and she's just felt like she needed to rest more. And I told her, you're doing exactly what God needs you to do right now. You're healing. You're resting. That's that's not wasting time. That's what this time and season of your life is meant for. So I feel like it was a great idea to talk about rest because there's balance in all things. And it doesn't mean that just because we talked about making sure that you're not wasting all of your time or a significant portion of your time, you don't also have to be productive 100% of the day, all day, every day. And that rest is actually not only really productive, but needed. So I wanted to start out with, first of all, the example that we believe our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ set when they created the world. So this is one of my favorite things about going to the temple and something I really miss. But in the temple, we're instructed on how the world was created and it follows the Bible, it follows Genesis. And so it explains like day one, they made this and day two, they did that. And everything from dividing the light from the darkness to creating beasts of the field and fowls and fishes. And But at the very end of all of that creation in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So, I mean, I think that's really telling to watch the creation of the earth from our Heavenly Father instructed Jesus on how to create the earth. And then on that seventh day, he sanctified that day as a day of rest. And I mean, that's one good example to start off with. But another thing that I think is super interesting, which I only realized somewhat recently, is that in the Ten Commandments, a lot of the commandments are just one verse, right? Thou shalt not kill. 
thou shalt not have have no other gods before me, right? But when you get to rest, he takes a few verses to explain this in detail because he wants us to take it seriously. So he says, so this is Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But that's just one verse. Then he goes on to say, six days shalt thou labor and do all they work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So even the next few verses, honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. They're they're one-liners. But rest, he took up a few verses to say, okay, I really want you to get this. And what was interesting to me to study those recently, and I actually just pulled it out and studied them while I was on bed rest. What's interesting is that I used to think of keeping the Sabbath day holy as more of like a list of things you're not supposed to do. Like, okay, we kind of in our in our religion, in our faith base, we believe in like not grocery shopping on Sunday or not going to the movies or whatever. You know, each family kind of has their own set of guidelines or things that they stick to. But that's kind of always how I interpreted that keep the Sabbath day holy is don't do certain things. And then when I read through those verses, it was like, oh, no, actually, God is very instructive on how he wants us to spend that day and why, and that there's a really deep purpose and meaning behind that. And I think it's so interesting that he does that with that one commandment where most of the others, it's just like, don't kill anyone, don't commit adultery, don't lie. But that one, he's like, and I'm going to take a few verses to explain this just to make sure you get it. Totally. I think of that. Someone always explains to me the Ten Commandments as like misery avoidance commandments. Oh, I like that. That's like the kind of that thou shalt or thou shalt not. But even in that, even if you're thinking of it in terms of misery avoidance, that should kind of say something that that's a big deal. That rest, if misery avoidance is like you got to rest, you got to take a minute to kind of get, let your body catch up and, and, your mind kind of relax, and and that's kind of the way that that we were built as humans is right. to to kind of have that balance. And that's something that we've taken really seriously in our business too. Like we do not ever work on Sundays, and everybody that's ever worked for us or currently works for us knows. I don't really care if everything's burning down. Like, don't bother me on Sunday. And I also encourage them to take that day off, or if Saturday's a better day for them or whatever. Religion-wise, that doesn't line up for them. We actually had a girl. This was, this is a cool story. This was one of my favorite hiring experiences. We interviewed for a few different virtual assistants. This was many years ago. And our brother-in-law, Cody, helped line up some of these candidates that were all looking for jobs. So we interviewed each one of them. And the last girl her interview went great. And we were kind of like, yeah, I think she might be the favorite. So we offered her the job. She said to us, I can take the job on one condition. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And so my Sabbath day is Friday. So I can't work on on Fridays. And she said I could work Saturday or Sunday to make up for that. But if that disqualifies me from the job, then 
I understand. And I had so much respect for her being willing to lose the job over keeping her, her commitment to her faith of resting on that specific Sabbath day that that was honestly the thing that made me say, yeah, somebody that has that kind of integrity, that's who we want working for us. And we hired her and and she always did a, a wonderful job of she took that Friday off, but then she would make up for the hours on either Saturday or Sunday. And so that's something that's really, really important to us. And we also really value time that our team can take away to spend time with family or be there if they have a funeral. We had somebody just like a week ago where we had to reschedule a meeting because her husband, one of her husband's best friends passed away and they had a sudden funeral pop up. And so I really feel like what is life if you aren't going to make time to rest and make time for the things that we say matter most, like family and togetherness and and just recharging. I think that uh, what I also think is so interesting is in places where they have hired the most, the smartest minds in the world and they, places like Google and Facebook and Instagram or Meta now, they have so many different things set up for rest. Like, I thought this was super interesting when we toured the Facebook campus that they had video game rooms set up so that their coders could go in and engineers could go in and just kind of unplug and blow off steam or whatever and and game for an hour or whatever. And then they were more able to come back with a creative mind and after they had kind of rested, I guess, their brain cells from working really hard. And I know that at Apple, they have little napping pods where they encourage people to go take a nap. And I just think it's really interesting that these companies who have every resource and all of the intel in the world at their fingertips recognize just how important it is to let people's minds and bodies rest in order to do the most optimal job. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I think we've learned a lot as a society and there's different lines of thought and schools of thought and industries where it's like that it's celebrated to be like no press it hard like let's do the opposite but i i love this talk there's a, a talk by Dieter f Uchtdorf, who's a leader in our church and he he talks about this concept of taking time and he's uh, he's an airline pilot and there was an airline pilot as a profession and so he talks about turbulence and he says, have you ever been in an airplane and experienced turbulence? The most common cause of turbulence is a sudden change in air movement, causing the aircraft to pitch, yaw, and roll. While planes are built to withstand far greater turbulence than anything you would encounter on a regular flight, it still may be disconcerting to passengers. What do you suppose pilots do when they encounter turbulence? A student pilot may think that increasing speed is a good strategy because it will get them through the turbulence faster. But that may be wrong the wrong thing to do. Professional pilots understand that there is an optimum turbulence penetration speed that will minimize the negative effects of turbulence. And most of the time that would mean to reduce your speed. The same principle applies also to speed bumps on ro- on a road. Therefore, it is good advice to slow down a little, steady the course, and focus on the essentials when experience adverse conditions. 
So I thought that was a great analogy. I love that. Because I think anyone's been on an airplane and had, you hit those turbulence and people start kind of getting a little unnerved. And and you would think, like, I think the human reaction or even speed bumps or different things in non-physical driving or flying experiences is to like, well, let me press harder. Let me move faster. Let me speed up the pace. Let me push the pace. Let me get more frantic. And in a lot of circumstances or a lot of times, that's the exact wrong thing to do. Like you want to do the exact opposite, which is to slow down. And and it's interesting in any type of a high stress, like rescue situation, or a lot of times the first time they'll say, first thing they say to do is just to like take a deep breath, relax, like slow down, slow your mind down. So it's pretty interesting to see that. I think it's, it takes avoiding the first knee jerk reaction, which is like, let me just push the pace and move faster. So I really like that concept and, and what he has to say. Another thing I think society has changed their mind on, and it goes along with what you were just talking about, where it used to be like hustle, hustle, work, work, overwork yourself. And I still think there's to this day, I still think there is something to be said for being willing to do a little bit more than your competition. And that's oftentimes how you get someone like a Michael Jordan. But at the same time, I think that Olympic athletes and these really smart people in the tech world and everything all can agree now more than ever that sleep is so important. And that's one of my favorite things from when I read Essentialism and I try to reread it usually like once a year. But he talks about, Greg McKeown says, one more hour of sleep equals several more hours of much higher productivity. Sleep is for high performers. Sleep is a priority. Sleep breeds creativity. Sleep enables the highest levels of mental contribution. And I think that's so true. Like, I think he says in the book too, sleep is the new black. Like, and it's, it used to be like, how much can you brag about? Oh, I don't need, I'm the type of person that doesn't need a lot of sleep. Like I can do so much on three or four hours of sleep. And now it's kind of changed to where people are like, oh yeah, I like people brag about, I've, I'm an eight hour a night kind of person. Like I have to have that in order to have optimal performance. And I think you and I are definitely both that way. I am for we, sure. I I am too. And I you know what's Well, you know what's crazy is I think back on times in high school and in college where I was falling asleep in class and I'm like, "Wow, I must have just been so sleep deprived because I'll get tired, I'll get worn out now." But it's pretty rare, unless we have a newborn baby, which we will in a few months. But it's pretty rare that I'm so tired, like sleepy tired, that I would be able to fall asleep sitting up straight. Like, But I used to be that way all the time in high school and in college. And I just think it was like I was burning the candle on both ends, thinking that that was the best possible way to cram everything in. And I look back and I think, wow, I probably was working on like a 30% performance of my brain at the time because I was so tired all the time. So if I could go back and do things differently in that period of my life, I would have prioritized sleep more. I just don't think I even understood why or how important that was. Yeah. Well, I think that time of of life, it's like all about hanging out late and like, let me just go and, and 
have a good time and I don't want to miss out. Totally. But I also love in the same talk with Dieter Uchtdorf, it's called the things that matter most, but he quotes Elder Dallin H. Oaks, which he's another leader in our church. He says, we have to forego some good things in order to choose others that are better or best because they develop faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen our families. And then Elder Uchtdorf chimes in and says, the search for the best things inevitably lead us to the foundational principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The simple and beautiful truths revealed to us by a caring, eternal, and all-willing, uh, all-knowing Father in heaven. So, just this concept of you have there has to be a lot of times what you know, Greg McEwen's been on the podcast in the book Essentials, and he talks about this like trade-offs. Yep, you have to trade something off, and, and maybe something that's good for something that's better, or ideally something that's best. I think. From a faith standpoint, that's where you started out with the the Ten Commandments. Like that is one of the the Ten Commandments is to take that time for the best things once a week. Take the Sabbath day, rest, and and not only just rest yourself physically or mentally, but also focus on worshiping God or a spirit your spiritual connection. That's a promise that we receive in the Bible. Come unto me, all you that labor, and I will give you rest. Like that's the promise that as we engage in the best things are spiritual things that will find rest to our souls. There's a combination of the physical, but also the, the spiritual as being something that we need to focus on, but it requires trade-offs. Something I thought of too, when you brought up Elder Uchtdorf and President Oaks is and maybe most people know this, but I didn't know it until we were waiting for a letter from the First Presidency to be able to get married in the temple because I'd been married before. I learned that the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the First Presidency in our church takes off, they take off the entire month of July, which is another like really interesting observation. These men that are doing so much for our church and for this worldwide organization that even they recognize the importance of taking time off to rest and be with family and do things that if you're just working and hustling nonstop, again, it's like, what is the, what is the point of all this work if it isn't leading you to at some point, enjoy it with slow down and enjoy it with the people that you love and be able to recharge and, and then come back and be refreshed and do your best. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I'm thinking of too that I love the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen R. Covey. So his one of his habits is sharpen the saw and basically like take time to rest. And it talks about in the book like he was often known for taking naps in like weird places. <laughs> like he'd find like a park bench and just lay down and take a nap. Like oh, that's he, funny. Like I don't remember that part. Always resting. You think of somebody who's such a high level achiever and literally in that world of teaching people how to be successful, that that's one of the core things that he focuses on. It's really cool. Did I ever tell you where I would take naps at Vivint? I think so. <laughs> so when I worked at Vivint in Provo, they had every office was glass floor to ceiling. So you could see into everyone's office. So even though I was 
an assistant to the CFO and he was gone a lot of times or would be in meetings or whatever, I could never like go into his office and take a nap because people could see everything. There was only one room. Well, there were the restrooms, but then there was one room in the whole entire huge like seven story building or whatever that was completely private and you could lock yourself in and that was the mother's nursing lounge. Like there was like a little mother's room that you could go into nurse. And while I was pregnant with Annabelle, I would hit a wall at like three o'clock every day where it was that just extreme exhaustion, like sleepy tiredness where I could barely keep my eyes open. So I would go into that mother's room at Vivint and close and lock the door and lay down on the bare floor, which I'm sure was super gross and dirty, but it just it didn't even matter. I was so desperate. I would lay down on the floor and set an alarm for 10 minutes and take a 10 minute power nap. And then I would go back up to my desk and finish out the day. And then I, it also, I feel like it saved my life too, because it would make it so that I wasn't sleepy on my like 45 minute commute home at five or five thirty or whenever it was that I left work. And I do think it's really fascinating how when you, when I'm pregnant and that first and third, not so much the second trimester, but first trimester, it's wild where you, your body is just like working overtime to create a new human that you just feel. I felt with each pregnancy exhaustion beyond anything that I could even describe. And it's just because your body's working so, so, so hard. And so I've just learned to, instead of fighting that, just allow myself to rest. And you were talking about also like the body's need to rest and, and an experience you had too. Yeah. Well, I, I learned that because I, I kind of grew up that way. My dad taught high school. He's a drama and history teacher for oh, 30 plus years. I should know the number. Not by now. He took me taught forever. But he was such a like hardcore old school mentality, like you never miss a day type of guy. So he worked through just illness or tired, whatever, fatigue. And my dad was the same way. That's he never took a sick day. old school thinking. Yeah. And your grandpa was like the oh, same way. Oh, he's like, a master. Like, so it's kind of that, I think it's like a very, that old school, like we just. If you're a tough guy, you tough it we, out. We make it happen, yeah. you know. And that's kind of what, like the example that my dad set, which I think helped me in so many ways. But I remember getting on my mission and I was with one of the, they call them companions, but it's somebody that you work with, a partner that, that you're paired up with, that you're working with and teaching the gospel with. And and he was so hardcore, like worker, just cranked it out every single day. I mean, we're literally running places, just that type of a guy. But I remember getting sick and all of a sudden, like he comes in and talks to me. He's like, look, go to sleep, sleep as long as you can. So for me, it was a little weird coming from this guy. I'm like, this guy's nuts, like borderline. Like this is, I don't know if we're even supposed to just be doing some of the crazy, like workaholic stuff that he does. But I thought it was interesting or kind of weird that he was so cool about like, hey, take the time to to rest while you're sick. But I realized why he said that, because taking the time, I got better a lot faster. Later on, he told me, he's like, look, if you just if we keep going and you're sick, it's going to prolong the sickness and prolong you not feeling well and prolong eventually it's going to catch up to you and you're going to be sicker for longer than you would have been had you not taken an opportunity to stop and rest. 
So that's something I, I kind of learned that on my mission. And in other areas as well, I saw that later on working with doctors who were doing these surgeries on people that would do these foot surgeries and they'd have broken bones or they'd have to get a fusion or something and get these plates put in. And if people walked too soon, the, it would break the hardware that we put in and they'd have to come back and get a second surgery. And it was like another, you know, six to eight plus weeks. And it's like, look, if you would have just stayed off of this thing for six weeks and given it time to heal or four to six or whatever it was, like you, you wouldn't have to come back in and get a revision surgery. Like you would think that pe- people would get that, but you just don't really think about it and push forward anyway. And you got to come back in and get another surgery. So the body is very interesting in that way. Well, one thing I learned too with having babies and thank goodness for the book Baby Wise because and I know that that can be controversial and some people believe in it and some people don't, whatever, but I'm a huge Baby Wise believer. And luckily I read that book before we had our first baby Annie and it taught me so much about how sleep during the day really sets you up to for babies to get a good rhythm and sleep at night, but But the point, whether you believe in that method or co-sleeping or whatever, it doesn't matter, is that babies need an insane amount of sleep. Babies need like 14 to 18 hours of sleep in a 24-hour period, like 18 out of 24. Sometimes I feel like I need 18, 14 to 18 hours. That's because you're kind of a baby. Um, No, but with with a baby, like I remember with, with each of our babies, but especially the first one, I was like, oh my gosh, is she, is this okay? Like, is this normal? I feel like I barely... When they're brand new newborns, it kind of, it's also because they take forever to eat. But I would, I remember I would just like unswaddle the baby, feed them, take like 45 minutes to feed them and then change their diaper, keep them awake for a few minutes. And then before you know it, it's time to put them right back down and they sleep all day, but they need it. They need that for brain development. It's extremely important for babies to have, to basically be asleep more than they are awake because their brain is developing so much in their body. And so it is fascinating to me how much sleep a baby needs. And I would have thought like, oh, we got to keep the baby awake during the day so that they sleep at night. But really well-rested babies tend to pick up quicker on like a good nighttime rhythm and sleeping. And, and it's almost counterintuitive, but it's pretty amazing to see once with a really well-rested baby, they're really happy. And I mean, in general, I know there are exceptions. I know there are colic babies. I know that it's not that way with every single baby, but just in general that it is true that every baby needs a significant amount of sleep, like so much more than I ever would have guessed without reading that book and understanding that. So even our kids, I feel like they do so much better when they are getting good sleep. And then when they're not, they're so grumpy and difficult. I feel like I can insert myself into all, any of these descriptions. <laughs> I'm like, development, yes. Like, I don't know that you need- Grumpy and tired. I yes. don't know that you need 18 hours of sleep. I know. I was just kidding. But but I think that like for the way that you feel as well and just your interactions with others, and I think that carries over. You probably don't think of it, or I, I know I don't think of it, but with your relationships with others, like- that if you're both, and that's when I think having a newborn is really hard. I thought about when we had Annabelle and right before we had, you, you got her sleep kind of worked out to where she'd sleep through the night. There was a point at the end where we were both up 
and just were both super Delirious. tired at the same time. Yeah. And I remember just being miserable, like both of us together. And it was a huge strain on our relationship. We were just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, can't you just do this? And it was like, I'm trying to do that. And then, you know, you're both sleep deprived trying to work out this life. And it's just, just insane, literally. And it feels like it's never going to get better. In that, in that phase, you feel like, oh my gosh, this is our new life and this is what it's going to look like forever. And we've had four kids and in each newborn phase, it feels like, oh my gosh, this is going to last forever. And then the next thing you know, you're a few months down the road and you're like, oh wow, that went by fast. Once you're out of it. You forget all about it, which yeah. I think you kind of have to, to be able to have another kid. Totally. You have to well, like forget what it yeah. was Yeah. Like. I had a doctor who explained to me that your body as a woman, you literally have like an amnesia effect where you forget the newborn phase. You forget how difficult pregnancy is so that you'll reproduce again. It's like a chemical thing that happens in your body. I think for a man, it's like remodeling your house. Like you go through this yeah. thing once you remodel your house where you forget what it was like to like do that yourself and lay down tile. You're still never going to forgive me for that tile, are you? You have to come back and do it, you know, again, but. You're kind of like granted that forgetful memory of like how miserable it was to live through a renovation. But Neil, anyway, laid, Neil laid tile in our, in our first, first kitchen, house. but it sold the house. It did. You were right. It, you were right. But. but back onto the topic of rest. So I think another really, really important thing to consider when you think about rest is that it's not something you need to explain or earn or feel like you, maybe you don't deserve it. I, I think there's a lot of guilt sometimes associated with rest. And that's where I would point anyone who's thinking or feeling that way back to those beginning Bible verses of this is what God instructed us to do. This is not just some like, well, I guess you're so lazy that you need a day off. <laughs> this, that's not how God instructed us. He said like, on the seventh day, I want you to rest from all your labors and also let everyone else rest too. And this is so important that not only am I going to include it in my perfect example to you of how this world was created, but I'm also going to command you to rest. Totally. If you feel like you need to take an afternoon or you need to take some time for yourself or you need to say no to certain things so that you have room in your life to rest, or you need to just maybe plan an easier Sunday dinner so that you can actually rest on Sunday or whatever it is. You don't have to explain it to anyone. You don't have to justify it. It's something that God wants you to do in order to be your best self. Uh, funny enough, I'm just reading in the Book of Mormon this morning. I'm in like Mosiah, which is kind of towards the front of the Book of Mormon. But there's this king, his name's King Benjamin. And he's teaching all of his people about the gospel and kind of lays everything out. These are the things we need to do. We need to look at ourselves and serve others and help others who are in need. And he lays all these things out, but then he, he kind of closes it out towards the end of his, of this speech that he's making. He says, and see that all these things are done in wisdom and order for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. And again, it is expedient that he should be diligent, that thereby he might win the prize. Therefore, all things must be done in order. So there has to be an order to it. And and I think there's a, such a temptation to run faster than we have strength, especially now in the world that we live in, where it's like, you kind of can't leave work at work. 
it's it's kind of like we it all mushes together with being able to work remotely or work from home or digitally or now we have phones like back you know back in the 1900s when i was <laughs> born and like, grew up you guys were born I in love, the 1900s i love saying that to younger kids i'm like back when i was in, back in the 1900s when i was born to contact somebody you called the landline and if they weren't there then it was like leaving a message or you punched out of work it was like all right we'll see you monday now it's like you got a phone they can you can text people you got all kinds of apps and things that you can get messages or emails yeah and i'm like hardcore with that too with like i almost never text people on our team unless it is a true emergency and i'm also like don't text me unless it's an emergency <laughs> cuz i want them to be like when they intentionally want to be on with work great be on but when you want to be off like don't i don't want people just casually texting each other I'm like, if that's, that's like last resort if it's an actual emergency. But it's a pretty big deal to me that when people are in work mode, great. But then they should also have clear boundaries where they are allowed to check out and not be on the clock 24-7. I don't want that for anybody. Yeah, totally. And I think that's the boundaries. I think they're, they're, you have to like set those up for yourself in order to be able to combat the just being on 24 seven all of the time. And I mean, there are different jobs that, that require that to some degree and in certain situations where for sure you just kind of have to be living that type of a lifestyle. But even in those, I, I remember interviewing for a job that was very on call. And I remember having a conversation with the hiring manager and the, this guy who was kind of like a legend in this industry. He's like, it's a lifestyle, but he's like, Hey, where do you think I was 10 AM this morning? I'm like, Oh, you're probably working. He's like, no, I was at the museum with my kids and we were taking a trip in the kind of when everyone else, you would think everyone else would be at work. And his point was just to show like, Hey, it has, there has to be a balance. There has to be opportunities that you're giving yourself and boundaries that you're setting up to where it's not, you're just running yourself into the ground. But it does require a lot of thoughtful planning and being able to to kind of, like the scripture was saying, be diligent to where you're getting things done, but also that you're not running faster than you have strength. So this is something, I don't know, it's just a really cool concept that I'm always trying to figure out. So last point for me would be to make sure also that there's so much chaos and confusion in the world that you're turning to the right sources for true rest. And this is something that if you're a member of our church that our prophet talked to us about in the most recent general conference, his big talk that he gave was entitled Overcome the World and Find Rest. And so what we're talking about here is instead of, and and this is, actually goes a little bit back into Satan wants you to waste your time. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with like, turning on a Netflix show or relaxing, reading like a fun book or sitting at the beach or whatever, like recreating, like those things are all good. But I think when you're feeling really weighed down heavily by the world, the true source of peace and rest is, in my opinion, the Savior Jesus Christ. And he explains that over and over in his ministry, like, come unto me all that you're have all you that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And if we turn to the Savior, He can give us actual true peace and rest. And I've observed that 
time and time again in the temple where I'll go in and feel like I'm just carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And then by the end of my worshiping in there and serving, there's this point where you get to the end and you're able to go sit in this really beautiful, peaceful place called the celestial room. And I just feel, I think the most peaceful that you can possibly feel on this earth for me has been in that celestial room. And after I've really thought about and internalized my covenants with God and my promises with him and, and the things that are of an eternal value rather than just like all of the noise and chaos that's so in your face all day, every day from the world. That would be my last thing is that like maybe you are in a season of life where you can't really physically rest for a long time. Like uh, I'll bring it back to this too, just really quickly. My therapist, while I was going through postpartum depression, she would just encourage me and encourage me to rest and to let my body rest and to not fight my state of being in postpartum depression. And she she would talk to me about the value of rest all the time. And she told me once like, oh, I take a, a day a week or one, yeah, one day a week off of, and not, not on Sunday, but like I take a personal day once a week where I just don't answer emails. I'm not talking to people. I'm not doing housework. I'm not crossing things off my list. I'm just resting. And I literally let my physical body rest. I let my mind rest. And I just, and I said to her like, wow, that sounds like a dream. I can't even imagine like, how, how do you do that? And she was like, well, Corinne, I couldn't do that when I was raising little kids like you are. And there are times and seasons for everything. So maybe you have a newborn and you're not getting a lot of sleep and that's not going to change for at least a few months. Or maybe you have teenagers and you're staying up really late because they're coming home really late and you want to be awake when they come home. Or, you know, maybe you are on a mission and you're serving pretty much all day, every day. But you can always, in whatever season of life you're in, you can always go back to finding true peace and rest in the Savior. And even if that's just a few minutes a day of pausing everything that you're doing and reading scriptures or praying or meditating or doing whatever you need to do to just let go of the world and let God take over, that is where you will always find true peace and true rest. And this is what President Nelson said about this. He said in that talk, Overcome the World and Find Rest, my plea to you this morning is to find rest from the intensity, uncertainty, and anguish of this world by overcoming the world through your covenants with God. Let him know through your prayers and your actions that you are serious about overcoming the world. Ask him to enlighten your mind and send the help you need. Each day, record the thoughts that come to you as you pray, then follow through diligently. Spend more time in the temple and seek to understand how the temple teaches you to rise above this fallen world. So that would be my final piece of advice is like, yeah, there's all these little things you can do to build in more time to sleep and more time to rest your body. And all of those things are important. But I would say the most, most, most important thing is to find true peace and rest in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode.